The following is a member of the Burke Reviews podcast family. BurkeReviews.com Hey everybody, welcome to Burke Reviews Movie Club. I'm John Burke, and with me, as always, Corey Starr. Hello, hello. And we are recording very early this week because I have graduation um, on Friday night. Not for myself, I'm not graduating. I've, I've already done that a couple of times, in fact. Um, but my high schoolers are, and so I will be there. Um, and Thursday night is the Deadpool 2 premiere that I'll be going to. And Wednesday, Corey's got a movie night, so... We needed to record pretty early in the week, so we're recording this on a Tuesday. Um, but we'll be reviewing our uh, continuing with Paul Thomas Anderson month. We'll be reviewing Magnolia, and that was an epic film that we'll be getting uh, into in a little bit. But before we do that, uh, how you doing, Corey? I'm doing okay. I'm ready for the weekend, and it's only Tuesday. How are you doing? I'd say about the same. Um, I had a, a pretty long day yesterday. Uh, we started our day off at work with the power going out for an hour. Oh uh, no! Yeah, so, but but that's before the the bell rings, so it wasn't like during class. Okay. But it still um, it throws you off a little bit when like you can't do anything because the internet's off, and you have to, you can't do anything on the computers. Blah blah. blah. So, um, I found out that my sarcasm is charged by darkness, though. So that was good to learn. Um, I got more sarcastic the longer the power was out, and um, for me it's fun. And then uh, today I, I woke up actually like early in the morning. I don't even know if it was three a.m. or whatever with a migraine that uh, came and went all day until my awesome coworker. Um, I don't know if I should say your name or not, but my awesome coworker uh, she had seniors fourth period. And so seniors are already done with school, and she one she offered to watch my class if I needed to like take a break, um, but I didn't take her up on that uh, because my classes are pretty great, and I don't I can usually if they know I have a headache they're usually pretty cool about you know just doing their work and not not being rambunctious or whatever like there's a respect level there they're like oh well he's clearly in pain we'll leave him be, um, but she went and got me a iced coffee she was doing some other chores or errands or whatever but she's. She texted me, was like, do you want a, a coffee or anything? I'm like, yes, oh my god, yes. And that actually knocked my headache out. Um, so, very grateful for, for that, uh, the friendship um, and the, the help, because I totally was suffering. But, <laughs> um, but do you want to get into what we've been watching, or do you have anything non-movie related you want to get into first? Um, hmm. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Um, I finished my class with at least a 94. Oh, that's awesome. So your, your group project did not, uh, it, like self-destruct or anything. You, you ended up getting it done. Yes. And actually we got it done. Well, I'm not sure when my partner got it done. I thought we were going to turn it in a little earlier, but, um, she ended up only one of us had to submit it. Uh, and I finished my part like the night before I think I was going to Atlanta and, so we made a ninety three on that. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome! Yeah, yeah. I hate writing. Yeah, well, you were stressing that too. Um, so that's for good. like at least a month. But yeah. 
Well, that's, that's good news. Um, yeah. Well, you said you since you're done with that class, you're you're on summer break. Yes. Then let's hear uh, what what have you been watching since we last recorded on Friday? Okay, so I, Bill and I finally got to go see Isle of Dogs, and you know I just really liked it a lot, mm-hmm. and. We came out of the movie, and we went, had to stop at the pet store or something. And I think that I want a boa. I think that I feel like we need a snake in our life. But Bill's like, I really want a dog. Like, we didn't already want a dog, but then he really wanted a dog after he watched that. Uh-huh. So maybe I'll get a puppy. Um, And then I watched Super Troopers yesterday because I want to go see the second one, and I'd never seen the first one. Oh, wow. What did you think of the first one? It was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like it was a little long, though. Um, I, I kind of remember feeling that the first time. That is a movie, I think, that gets better with rewatches. Watches? Um, I yeah. bet. Um, it was pretty funny. And also, I watched Magnolia in one day. I watched it all on Sunday. Mm. And I feel like that's pretty impressive for me. So there's that. It, it was... Uh, it. It didn't feel as long as it is. It is, is. Yeah, I know. But it still, it still felt long. Like, it was, you know, I was aware that there was... Well, I had a countdown clock when I was watching it, because I had to go... Uh, uh, I'll get to it when I tell my story, but yeah, I was very much aware of how long it was, um, but it didn't necessarily feel long. Like, I was enjoying the movie. Like, it didn't feel slow or anything like that, but... Mm-hmm. Um, which we'll get into, of course, more in the in the meantime. Is that... You stopped there? That's three movies in, like, four oh, no, or five days. Totally. That's definitely... Um, and I watched... I watched two other ones last week that we already talked about. And I mean, that's five movies in less than in a week and two days, mm-hmm. I think. And I talked about breaking in on last week's episode, I think. I think I saw it before we recorded. So, Which um, is your number one movie of the year, yes. Contender, correct? So, okay, so, perfect. So, so, so awful. Um, oh, no, I was trying to be funny. Oh, I'm sorry. That's uh, <laughs> the best. I watched a stand-up special that I really want to emphasize, and I think I had started it Either I started it when we were right, like right before we recorded, or I started it right after we finished. Um, it's uh, the comedian's name is James Acaster, and oh. the, the special is called Repertoire, and it's more like a TV series. There's four hour-long specials, and each the first three hours are completely standalone. Each hour is uh, they don't reference each other. It's just a good solid stand-up hour, and then the fourth episode ties all of them together in the most amazing and brilliant way and i am i'm blown away by how not only funny he is but how brilliant his stand-up is there's it's it's so innovative and different i've seen nothing like it before um cannot stress enough it's on netflix highly highly recommend james a caster i have not reviewed any comedy specials that i can think of but i think i'm going to write a review for this one because it is so I think people need to know about it. Um, It's not something Netflix is pushing. He's not a comedian I knew beforehand. He's clearly experienced, um, given the structure is so unique uh, and ballsy to to write four hours of stand-up and and do it all. From what I can tell, it was all done within either this. It looks like it's all at the same venue, and the way it's presented makes you think it was done in the same day. I don't see that being likely. Um, mm-hmm. but man, it's, it's really great. I, if you like stand up at all, highly recommend James A. Caster repertoire. Um, I re rewatched Tully for the third time. Um, yeah. but this time I got to go with my wife and daughter and actually use my movie pass to see it. And, uh, 
I, I still love it. My daughter was, I was really, really, really happy with her because she immediately starts analyzing the film as soon as it was over and like breaking things down and pointing out things. And I'm like, okay, that's, this is what I'm talking about. Um, but both my wife and daughter liked it a whole lot. So that was exciting. Um, I watched a new Netflix film that stars Joey King called The Kissing Booth. Um, absolutely horrid. Uh, really bad. Um, she's really good, as she usually is. And I, Molly Ringwald shows up in a very, like, clearly cast because of Molly Ringwald's history. Um, she's barely in the movie. Uh, doesn't get much to do. Um, it is a... A movie that is adapted from a novel that started on an app called Wattpad, according to some of my students who are a big fan of this movie. I did have a student get very upset with me for not liking this um, and said I had bad taste. Uh, oh. <laughs> I, I disagree with her completely. And, um, you know, but uh, I, I appreciate her, her desire to defend something. Um, I, I really wanted to like it, although I, I will admit it is definitely not... It's a... Very soap opera-ish, very much a high school movie. Now, I am a big fan of coming-of-age stories, so that is not usually an issue, but it is possible that this is geared towards a very specific type of demographic, and I am not that person. Um, that said, I think that it's it's got a lot of bad writing. Um, the performances are fine, and there's a few good moments, but there's a lot of just awful stuff in the movie. Not good. Um Avengers Infinity War, I rewatched again, and this time my wife went, and it was her idea to go see it, um, on Mother's Day, actually, so, uh, she and I went and watched Avengers, got some popcorn, um, and then last night, I watched Magnolia, um, which my daughter got to go on her 8th grade field trip yesterday, and, uh, we had to pick her up at the school at 11pm. Holy heck! Exactly. On a Monday? On a Monday, um... <sighs> After being at Disney all day in the rain, uh, mind you, too. I so didn't realize that was her trip for that. I just thought she skipped school and went with a friend. Nope. <laughs> it was an eighth grade field trip. And, uh, That's awesome. She, um, so I knew I had, to be, I had to be done with the movie in time to leave here and go get her. Uh, so, like, I had to start it by, like, 7 o'clock to be done by 10 o'clock so we could go to the, we had to go to, like, run a couple errands and then go pick her up. Um, that's how we, like, set it up. So, uh... I was, like, very much aware of the time. Like, and I had to pause it a couple times to use the bathroom, and I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. Got to hurry up, because every minute that I'm not watching this movie is a minute I'm going to be behind. So um, that's what I meant earlier when I said it. I was, like, I was aware of the time, because I was, like, there was a ticking clock for me. And then um, I'm actually 45 minutes into a film called Infinity Baby. Uh, which, what? Yes, it is on Amazon Prime. Um, it is not a Prime original, but it is on Prime. It's only... Uh, the time of this movie seems to fluctuate depending on what you're looking at. Um, Letterbox says it's 80 minutes. I think IMDb said something similar. Like um, it's it's barely an hour and 10 minutes according to Amazon Prime. Um, and but it's it's got a cast Corey that I couldn't resist. Uh, Kieran Culkin, who I'm a huge fan of because of Scott Pilgrim. Um, yes. Nick Offerman. Um, okay, I yeah. feel like everyone needs to know he's like my number one celebrity well, crush. Martin Starr, Corey. Martin what? Starr. That's another celebrity crush. And if we got I married, I wouldn't have to change my name. Not that I'm going to anyway. I'm just kidding. Um, from 2017, too. So it's a relatively new film. Uh, Megan Mullally, who is uh, Nick Offerman's wife, is Offerman's in this. Wife. Um, Kevin Corrigan, who's in a bunch of stuff. Uh, Noel Wells. Stephen Root, who shows up in a bunch of things. Martha Kelly, who I'm looking at Martha Kelly. It, she's like one of the first people you see in the movie. 
And I'm like, yeah. she looks familiar. And then I, I realized she was on Douglas movies that I went to in Austin when I was at South by Southwest. I'm like, oh, I've seen her live. That's why she looks familiar. Um, but it's really an interesting premise. It's very quirky. Um, it's black and white, so it's got like an art house kind of vibe to it. It's directed by Bob Byington, who I'm not familiar with. But uh, uh, yeah, I came across this movie. The cast pulled me in. I've actually been eyeballing it for about about two or three weeks. Um, decided to jump into it tonight because of its uh, short length. And um, yeah, I'm going to finish it as soon as we're done recording. It's just gotten very interesting, and I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to play out. Um, I feel like with the kind of cast, it's going to have to... My dog is barking. Um, sh- oh my gosh! And one of the stills from the movie, it uh, has Kieran Culkin and Noel Wells. And I swear, before you like click on it, I was like, "Oh, is John Hammond this too?" Look like him. Oh, you thought Kieran, Kieran Culkin. Culkin? Yeah, it's the hair, I think. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I very much you know I I like seeing him get work, and I don't feel like I get to see him enough. Um, and so I am. You know, I was I was drawn in to see uh, what this was, and it's it's different for sure, um, but it's very interesting. So yeah, I, I say right now I'm leaning towards recommending it, although it will play out and make my decision. I'll try to write a review over the next couple of days. But um, on that note, let's get into Magnolia. I think right. That's not what I watched. I'm kidding. Oh. <laughs> and I hope one day that I can just stay serious for a minute and really have you think that I did the wrong thing. Well, you've already, you, you literally just <laughs> told me you watched it. So. <laughs> I know. That's true. I'm going to have to work on my, yeah, your my set, lying game. Yeah, your setup was bad, but it's... Okay. Yeah, it was real bad. Um, yeah. All right, let's go through the stats. Magnolia is from 1999. It is Paul Thomas Anderson's third film. Uh, we just watched his second film, Boogie Nights, on our last episode. Um, it's got a huge, huge cast, as uh, apparently he liked to do early on, which is kind of impressive. Because how do you have the pull and the weight to have all these famous freaking people just come be in your films? Yeah, it, it's so... Oh, I just realized who somebody was. Um, IMDb's setup for this is so tough because it's like all over the place with how they organize. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really cannot tell how they organize this movie's list. But we got Tom Cruise, we got Philip Baker Hall... Uh, I forgot Thomas Jane was in it. Um, Melinda Dillon. Uh, I'm trying to find characters here. Michael Bowen, Jeremy Blackman, William H. Macy, Veronica Hart. Nope, see, she's not a main character. The, the organization is so f- screwy. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jason Robards, Julianne Moore, um, John C. Riley. Keep on going here. Keep on going here. Uh, I want to so say her people. name. Because I like her so much, and I never know her name, uh, except as Wa- uh, Wanda in Big Love. Melora Walters. She played um, Claudia. Okay, yes. Um, and she was in Boogie Nights as the blonde, and I'm forgetting her name. Which blonde? Was she, like, the, the girlfriend that Bucks. he had? Buck's baby mama. Oh, okay, got it. And then Alfred Molina, who was also in Boogie Nights. Actually, yeah. there's a lot of actors returning from Boogie Nights in this. Um I did say Tom Cruise, I think, already, right? Like, he's one of the first ones. Uh, so. Interesting enough, Orlando Jones is listed, but I don't think you ever actually see him in the movie. Um, he's billed as the character Worm, and I think uh, he is... You see his figure, but I don't think you ever see his face in the film, um, which we'll talk about later. Um, there's some other people in here that are great. Uh, that I don't even know that... You, like, there's so much going on in this movie. Um, like... For example, uh, Pat Healy is listed first for some reason, 
and he's listed as Sir Edmund William Godfrey, which was one of the uh, the opening storylines. But he's also listed <laughs> as the uh, young pharmacy kid. So when Julianne Moore brings all the prescriptions to the pharmacy, he's the kid who like questions her. Oh. Heck. Yeah, I didn't even recognize him. I knew he looked familiar, but it wasn't clicking who it was until I'm like, oh. Um, and Patton Oswalt's in one of the opening segments as well. He's barely in it, but he's he's the scuba diver in the opening uh, little story. Um, so, like, yeah, there's a lot of people who show up in this movie, and it is, it's pretty crazy. I mean, it's 1999, so some of those, like, Patton Oswalt wasn't uh, huge and as a huge actor yet. I think he was doing very well in the stand-up world at that time, and I don't think... I don't think he started getting popular with acting until King of Queens, which I don't remember what year that came out, but, um, yeah, big cast, uh, another PTA film. The premise is, is interesting on IMDb because it's so different. An epic mosaic of interrelated characters in search of love, forgiveness, and meaning in the San Fernando Valley. Um, and I, I didn't really know what this movie was going to be going into it. Now, I'd never seen it at all. You had started it before, right? Yes. And I think that maybe I was further into it than I thought I was. Oh, okay. And then I was just like, uh, you know. What made you There's stop? There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There is. Uh, it's, it's interwoven. I mean, it's a tapestry, I think, is the best way to describe the narrative in this uh, movie. Because um, even... Like that's fair. The opening three segments... Um, which this is not a spoiler. We will give spoiler warning before we start talking spoilers. But the opening three segments um, are focused on the idea of chance and how things work out. And um, there's three different stories that show these kind of crazy how things work out. And the first one's not as big of a deal. It's three people murder a guy who works in a place. Uh, I can't remember if it was a bank, I think. Um, that their three names is the name of the place that he was working at. Like coincidence oh, yeah but not like super like crazy that it's crazy but it's it's much more subtle than the next two um that there's like a there's a fire and the plane Bad. scoops up water and they drop the water on the fire and it, there's a scuba diver in the water that gets sucked up into the plane so when they drop the water he also drops out of the plane although he was already dead because he died of a heart attack while flying in you know being picked up out of the water and flying he panicked and had I don't a heart blame him. no right but then where the coincidence keeps building is that the pilot had attacked that scuba diver at um a casino a few days before but all of it hit like him accidentally murdering him as a coincidence he didn't mean to scoop him up nor did he know that he was even there and then kills himself because of the guilt he feels from the coincidence um it's like this big chain reaction of things and then the bigger, craziest coincidence is the man committing suicide by jumping off of a building. But if if, if the jump would have been the only thing, it turns out he wouldn't have died because there was a safety net there for a window washer that catches his body before it hits the ground. But while he's on his way to the safety net, a shotgun blast from an apartment that he's passing goes through the window into his chest killing him instantly but how that happens is that he had loaded that gun so that his parents who often pointed guns at each other when they were fighting which they did all the time would kill each other but instead accidentally ended up killing him which he was trying to do anyways 
So huge, crazy set of circumstances resulting in this death, setting the tone for the movie to make us think that all of these interconnected storylines are going to be connected somehow. And that, I won't say if it is or isn't, that is just how this initial set, because those none of those people have anything to do with the story we're going to see. But they all have something in common, that crazy, weird coincidence in how things work out. Um, I love that opening, though, because it's so... It grabbed me immediately, like, what's yeah. happening? Draws you in right away. Yeah, it, it's interesting, crazy, and, I mean, just that story, you're almost like, did they find this somewhere? Did he come up with this, with the guy jumping off the building? Did you notice um, when he was going to jump off the building, there's a 8-2, like, made out of rope on the side of, like, the roof? No. Hmm. I did. I didn't understand the significance of it until later, and I'll, I'll bring it up in spoilers. Um, well, what we're supposed to do here, and I guess we don't usually do what I just did. Uh, generally, this is your second go, Corey. Did you like the movie or not? I did. I, oh God, I just want everyone to know that it's my goal in life to not talk a lot and to be very clear and concise when I talk and when I communicate and not to waste words. So sometimes that's why it's hard for me. But, um, anyways. Why use, why use many words when few words work? word there you go well i feel like people talk too much a and if it's not important or interesting then why are you saying it yes and that's uh, why folks this will be the last episode (laughs) of our podcast oh no (laughs) Corey star has been injected from the co-pilot seat um anyways so i just have a hard time also you know saying what i need to say or what i mean cue john mayer um please don't Please don't. <laughs> yeah, because he makes me want to just peel my skin off. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more than I was expecting to, especially since I had already gone in and tried to watch it once before. And I, I remember when I tried to watch it, it wasn't that long ago. It was after we moved into our house, and I just felt completely overwhelmed. And I couldn't keep up because so many of these characters, like, after that initial, you know beginning of the movie yeah a lot of those characters are interwoven and i just couldn't keep up for some reason and i just had to turn it off so i was afraid i was going to feel that way again but um i actually really enjoyed it i enjoyed it more than i liked boogie nights and i feel like this one i could definitely watch again i don't know how soon but i felt really invested in a lot of the characters yeah i i love the characters um even as uh the the biggest surprise uh, by the way i guess i should say i i also really enjoyed this movie um enjoy may not be the right word but i i definitely see the uh the brilliance of the movie um and there's a lot to be i think this is a film that i feel like i should rewatch but i'm like oh man i don't know if i can rewatch 3 hours is a big commitment for a rewatch but but like you said it did not feel like 3 hours long no um and it was funny because uh, I asked Kathy if she wanted to watch it with me, um, and it was just her and I here last night because Taylor was at Disney, and she was kind of like, well, you can put it on, and I'm like, you know what, if you clearly aren't like sold on the premise, and I prefer watching it in my man room because I am closer to the TV and I have a surround sound system in here so I can control the, the volume a little better, 
Um, and so she was like, yeah, yeah, do that. I'm like, oh, all right, cool. So I ended up watching it alone, but she popped in a couple of times and was just like, this movie sounds like an acid trip. And I'm like, <laughs> you have no idea. She yeah. should have watched Inherit Vice. No, uh, yeah, she did watch Inherit Vice. Oh, actually. that's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, this one, it, there is that, like, kind of, I'm like, it's not as much as it probably sounds when you're just catching things, because everything is, it's very grounded for most it's of involved. the movie. But it's very involved, and there is so much going on, but... The one who did seem like an acid trip, especially because of the casting, was Tom Cruise's character, Frank. Oh, jeez. Because I want to... I mean, I've heard him curse and stuff, but like some of the things he says at the beginning of the film, especially when you first meet him, I'm just, my jaw was like slack. I'm just like, oh, man, it, like this guy is awful. Besides some of his... And I just wanted to like cut that stupid little half ponytail off, but... <sighs> Anyway, I wanted to like message you when I was watching it, and that like this is Tom Cruise being who I think Tom Cruise is. <laughs> like, but guys, we don't message each other until no. we talk about it on the podcast. Usually, I think we've only like broken that like once or twice, and it was yeah. like a big deal. But I know I it, it reminded me of when he went nuts on Oprah. There was I don't a part. Know, he's like no in the, your face and loud and the part when he is in his uh, underwear, but he's not because his pants are still on. But they're like pulled down to his ankles and they have stuffed his pants i am sure uh with you know a prosthetic of some kind because it is like the biggest bulge imaginable and i i've seen risky business i don't remember that you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. um but and given the nature of the character it would make sense that he would be well endowed or whatever but um he does like the handstand and he's all up in that woman's face that part reminded me totally of the oprah winfrey i love katie holmes jumping on the couch nonsense um for sure and there there is a manic energy about this character perfect word um early especially although that's one of the things i love about that character his arc is one of the biggest i think because it is so I, i guess that's kind of a spoiler to even talk about it but um just the the casting of that that big of a star in the role that he's playing where he's saying i mean he almost represents toxic masculinity that was so rampant in 1999 that fight club is that's one of the biggest criticisms against fight club is the toxic masculinity that is just oozing out of the film if it's misinterpreted in my opinion um because i didn't take it as chuck polanek or uh, david fincher saying this is how you should be but this is I... how people are in fight club and but frank like in this movie man like the stuff he says and how he's selling this idea to uh the the males of that time like hey i will tell you how to seduce any woman you want and what is it it's seduce and destroy is the name of the program (laughs) like oh my goodness the implications of that that men are to find a woman convince her to have sex with them and basically you're destroying them in every sense yeah um it is it is a twisted dark kind of take on on how men are or how men should be um and again i don't think that's what paul thomas anderson is advocating but that's what tom cruise's character is advocating uh and it it was it was shocking to me at times especially some of the the phrasing that he would use and um i mean he came off it's a great performance i mean no way am i like oh i can't believe tom cruise I am, unlike you, Corey, I, I like Tom Cruise, actually. I tend to uh, go in positive with his films. Like, I'm very much looking forward to Mission Impossible. Um, oh boy. 27. 
No, it's number seven. I think it might be number six. I don't know. It's number six. Um, I can't think of what it's called though. But the new one, I'm looking forward to. And I, as bad as it ended up being, I was looking forward to the Mummy last year. It it was total disappointment. And I was looking forward to American Made, although, and that was better than the Mummy. It still wasn't great. Um, but I I like Cruz, and I'm not necessarily saying I like him as a as like a person. But I like him as an actor, and I generally like his films uh, more often than I can remember not liking his films. Although I've skipped several. Um, this one, for example, I've skipped until now, but I, I really like him in this. Um, even though don't necessarily like the character, but I like his performance of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell you the standouts, though. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who is always great, but um, in Boogie Nights, he's much more in the on the back burner of the film, where he takes a major role in this film and gets some really cool little scenes that are they're often very quiet but his performance is so nuanced and it's so powerful so strange watching movies with him in it um i feel that way about a lot of actors when they pass but i don't like you know i can't even watch anything with robin robin williams still um mm. but i and i think he philip seymour hoffman is such a great actor but it doesn't I don't know how to even say this without sounding like a jerk. It's not as affecting to me, like where I can't watch him on film, like mm. where I can't. You know what I mean? I don't know how to explain well, that. I any mean, better. but like Robin Williams killed himself for all intents and purposes. Where Philip Seymour Hoffman, while you could say he, well, he killed, killed himself, himself too, but it was from drug use, right? It wasn't like a suicide. Suicide. Mm-hmm. I... Am, I, am I wrong? I can't. I could be off. Maybe he did like <laughs> do it on purpose. I don't. I don't know. I think that it. I feel like it was probably accidental. I'm sure that there's information on that somewhere. But. I'm sure, yeah. Um, but you know, you know who I feel I was the worst with for a long time. Um, I first remember becoming aware of John C. Riley in uh, the uh, Talladega Nights, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, and I don't recall seeing him in anything before I saw that movie. While I find that movie very, very funny, and I really liked his performance, I definitely didn't think of him as a serious actor, because I, my first encounter with John C. Riley was comedy. And then my next encounter, where I was even more aware of the actor, was Step Brothers, which is, again, a comedy with him, uh, pairing him and Will Ferrell again for the second time. And so, like, when I heard he was in, like, Chicago, I was kind of like, really? And now that I'm looking back at his career, I'm like, oh, I was just off. Like, he's way more than a comedic actor. He is a brilliant, dramatic actor. He brings a certain sense of, like, uh, sadness. I mean, he's... I was just about to say the same thing. Like, I... I feel like... Yes. I feel like he's really relatable to, like... Mm, Yes. That sadness and the melancholy. And I hate how... Well, not really, but I feel like a lot of times he's kind of the butt of the joke. Yes, uh, Chicago, for sure, right? Like, he's constantly being crapped on in that movie. Um, in Boogie Nights, though, there's a cool confidence about him. Like, yeah. especially when he first meets Mark Wahlberg. Now, it is a defense mechanism confidence. It's not a real confidence. It is, like, a bravado to, uh, you know, to stand up to this guy he's clearly intimidated by. But it's still, like, he pulls it off. Like, he's, I mean, the, the dude who, and he is, I want to point out, hilarious when he's playing comedic roles i love him in talented nights some of my favorite lines 
are after him and Ricky have the the fallout. And you've probably never seen that movie. I've have not you? seen that. Yeah, no, uh, there's some really funny parts in that movie that, and it's almost all John C. Riley in that. And then Step Brothers. Yeah, I would say he's got some of the funnier moments in that too, um, where Will Ferrell's playing more of a a whiny character. John C. Riley's playing a little bit more of a tough guy. Um, I I am definitely a fan, but I, I again. Um, I, he's only becoming more and more of a favorite actor, and he was my favorite part of Kong Skull Island. Um, I still don't watch that. Oh wow, you definitely should. It's, it's I know. A lot of fun. I'm sad that I didn't see it in. I feel like that's one that was much better in theaters. It's definitely a big movie, so seeing it on a big screen definitely would have been a good thing. But I haven't watched it. Um, I I have it, but I haven't watched it on home video, so I don't know how it holds up with the small screen. But I really like that movie a lot, um, and I am a, I am definitely a fan of. Um, monster movies in general and Rampage is what the only thing I liked about Rampage was the monster aspect but um, yeah I, I love the old Godzilla films and I am a fan of the even the 2017 Godzilla uh, I liked the 98 one when it came out and have since realized how awful 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 the 1998 Godzilla is we were kids we were kids and they had a really good P. Diddy song <laughs> soundtrack that, yeah exactly yes actually the Rampage <laughs> song was, the... was good too it wasn't the uh, didn't <laughs> oh, the wallflowers cover heroes for that? Oh, I you might David be Bowie? right. You might be right. I think so. And it definitely course, was on a it was on a soundtrack of some kind. But and uh, Green Day, who was my favorite band at the time, was uh, getting a lot of play for uh, Jaded and Brains. Do I think that was on there, and they remixed it for it or something? I think. Oh, interesting. I see. I I had the the CD single that had the P Diddy song, and then the um, Rage Against the Machine song on it, and uh, I think there was a Rage Against the Machine song. Maybe I'm screwing that up. Maybe it was Hero that I had on it. Because I know Rage did the, the end of The Matrix. Oh. Um, so yeah. I might have had that reference. But um, but yeah, that movie sucks. But, you know, I like monster movies. So, but I don't want to get too hung up on other movies. Um, John C. Riley, excellent in this film. Julianne Moore continues to always impress me. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. Um, and then I forgot... I always forget the actor's name because he's such a good actor, but he's... Um, He's often more of a character actor, so he blends in. Uh, he plays Gator in this. I just said his name a few moments ago. I'm going to pull it up. Philip Baker Hall, who is in all three of um, PTA's first films. Um, he shows up just a little bit in Boogie Nights. I think he, uh, I don't remember the character name, but he is trying to convince Burt Reynolds' character to go to VHS. And then he shows up a couple times after that in the movie. Um, oh. He plays Gator here, and... Uh, gets a lot more to do in this movie, and wow, um, he's he's a solid actor, really really good character actor for sure. Blends in, um, and he's going to be in the the next film that we're watching for the last movie of PTA month. Oh. Um, but for the meantime, uh, I think we've re- we've said a lot. Um, we've talked about some of our our favorite performances in the film. I think it's time we get into spoilers and just kind of. Uh, blow the lid off this movie okay guys if you want to see magnolia you're probably gonna have to bite or end it but go give it a watch and then come back and give us a listen unless you don't mind spoilers ahead and i have to say oh sorry i I cut you off at the end there but i want to say i'm glad we bought this because i definitely want to watch this again again. at some point (laughs) in fact um one i listened to an interview with pta uh, after watching the movie where he's talking about the end and I want to talk about the end momentarily but PTA his movies come off like he is going to be one a little pretentious because his movies are like they they seem so intelligent 
Um, and so I kind of, especially after watching like Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood. I, I love that movie. I kind of have this like vibe that PTA would be very hoity-toity. And the interview I just watched with him completely dumbfounded me. Like, at, he seems like the most normal guy. Like, not like you wouldn't even be a writer. Like, you're just like, wait, really? This guy wrote the, like Magnolia, and he was young in the interview. Like, it was it looked like it was within a year after the movie came out, kind of interview. And, it, and I was just so shocked at how like normal I mean, he came off. Obviously, a genius. He <laughs> wrote Boogie Nights and directed that when he was 27. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I love smart people like that. This was two years later, Corey. God! This is a he was 29 movie. and he's got three movies under his belt. I mean, Ugh. good good lord. Like, I, I am... It's insane. And then, I don't think he's had a major flub. I, a few people didn't like Inherent Vice. Um, but... Eh, we don't care what they say. But that's... Part of that is because I think he's such a genius. I don't think everyone's going to connect with his movies. And more so, I don't think you're going to connect with it initially. Like you do with a lot of other movies. Like... I think There Will Be Blood is excellent on a lot of levels that you can connect with it right away. But if you rewatch it, there's so much more to it than what you saw the first time. And I think that's going to be true with Phantom Thread. And um, Inherent Vice, I know for a fact that you can take away a whole lot of stuff from that a second viewing, just from what I saw in the first viewing. And I went in with some some knowledge of the film and like what to look for, I think. But um, I watched, before I get into the end too, I watched... Uh, uh, Roger Ebert review of uh, Magnolia. It's like a four minute review and I don't know who the female critic is sitting with him. Um, I guess it was like maybe a fill in after Siskel had died or something. But he loved Magnolia. Ebert did. He's praising it and saying it's in his top ten for the year in 99. (coughs) Which 99 had The Matrix and Fight Club which I don't know how Ebert fell on those two films but those were definitely up there for like most people in that year. And the woman didn't like it, and he got so mad. <laughs> like, um, just his Everyone reaction. Everyone doesn't there. have to like what you like. No, no, but the way he responds, because she, her criticisms are, uh, I think she makes some valid points. Um, it's definitely a taste thing. Both of them really ended on, the ending of the movie was where they were having their biggest disagreement. And that's what I want to talk about now, Corey. Corey? Oh my god, Corey. I have finally seen the most horrifying thing ever in a movie, and that was raining gigantic-ass frogs. Oh, my God. I was like, what part of the ending are you talking about? Because, oh, my God. And then I'm like, did I miss something when I was watching the movie? Um, Yeah, I kind of wanted to throw up when they were running over the frogs. Oh, Corey. That was a legit, like, I thought that I was going to throw up. I don't like frogs. You don't? I don't. I, I don't I, mind frogs. I don't like to make this public knowledge because it's one of those things where it's easy where for live. people to torture you. Yes, and it it's is. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> no. And but, but but, oh my God! Like they are so huge. Blech. And, and well, I want. I needed an answer about where it was coming from. Okay. Well. Um. Now, I immediately, and I was a little impressed with myself here, um, I don't claim to be an expert in the Bible, um, but I am familiar with many stories, and I immediately caught uh, that raining frogs was a biblical thing. And so while it was happening, I googled it, and then I I found a rabbit hole of information that I didn't even mean to, because all I did was search raining frogs Bible, and it popped up with the first Wikipedia article, and it says in the book of Exodus... 
blah 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 rain frogs be- i think the uh the israelites would not forgive the egyptians and so that was like god's punishment was it rain frogs i think that's right uh, i am not quoting that um and i apologize listeners who are much more versed with the bible than i am um but in that wikipedia article it said and has been depicted in films like magnolia i was like oh okay <laughs> this this article went from the bible quote to uh referencing the film I just, i'm literally watching right now and then um the pta interview is they ask him about the frogs actually they ask him about the book of exodus now if you go back and rewatch the movie if you didn't catch this there are uh the reference to the frogs being raining frogs is in exodus 8 2 so 82 anderson anderson says throughout the film there are 88 2 all over the place if you pay attention if you go back and watch just like in scott pilgrim versus the world there's x's everywhere there's 82s everywhere um the game show that the kids are on um mm-hmm. there's a few shots of the audience and there's like signs being held up one of them is exodus 82 instead of john 316 that was anderson's what? idea of referencing that um and i am 90 percent sure william h macy when he's throwing up says something about the book of exodus or he's he's quoting a line from exodus he says the word exodus though for sure and so there's a lot of things like building up that hint to that but they're all in the background and subtle and that's um like a lot of aspects of this film but um we mentioned at the top of the show that those three things at the beginning of the film indicate that all these things are connected and they're all gonna like it makes us think that all these people are going to be interconnected. And while there is some interconnectivity and some things cross, a lot of things don't. And I, uh, Roger Ebert, that's where they, he had a big issue. The, the woman wanted everything to connect at the end because that's how the, the opening makes us think. And at the end, we find out a lot of those connections mean nothing. Um, or like the kids on the quiz show. William H. Macy's character was a winner of that same quiz show as a child. And he is bitter as an adult because his parents stole all of his money that he won on the quiz show and has to still work a job. And he's never learned to be a grown-up from what we're seeing, the way he's acting. He's getting braces to try to impress a guy who has braces, which I don't know where that idea came from. Um, But the kid and him never meet. They never cross paths, even though that's our expectation. Or that Gator has cancer, Gator being the host of that game show the entire time it's been on and um his daughter and then like we expect more to intertwine and a lot of it never does and that was uh ebert said that's because it's 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 not supposed to because life isn't always neatly tied up at the end things don't always mean anything um sometimes actions in our past feel more important than they really are and i'm i'm kind of um pontificating from his point of view i'm not i'm not just sitting here quoting what he said he he was much more brief than i was um but or i will be um there's so much in this film to be interpreted i don't know that i've fully i mean it's been less than 24 hours since i finished it i don't think i've been i've gotten everything but i um i'm watching a movie like this looking for that because of of what i've seen of pta i expect a point to be made and i definitely think there's a lot of points made here um, I think even more so than in like Boogie Nights, uh, I feel like the point is much more simplistic. I think there's a lot here, though, where he just puts it on Front Street that because like there's characters that say things like um, 
I, I, I typed this up. I gotta look for it. Um, something about the past, like um. Okay, uh, we may we may be through with the past, but the past isn't through with us. It's said I think two or three times throughout the film, um, and things like that. That's clearly a, a big part. All of these characters are either looking to forgive somebody or looking to be redeemed, and um, the frogs representing that idea too. At the end, that that's where they fell from. Uh, they were punishment for the Israelites not being able to forgive. And so, you know, John C. Riley's character and, and um, William H. Macy's character, they're all, everyone, everyone's got something, you know, Tom Cruise is crying and telling his father that he hates him while the father is dying, um, you know, like, can't, still, still isn't able to forgive him even at his deathbed. And, like, that's... Well, I think, I think that we need to talk about all the shitty parents in this movie. A big another connection connective tissue for sure um so we because it takes a little while before we find out that tom cruise's character is the son of the one guy and i'm forgetting his name the guy that's uh, dying. big earl big earl and then doesn't isn't big earl he's like the producer or something of the yep. quiz show yeah his company runs or produces or or distributes or something they we get the title card at the end of the show that says big girl productions or something like that and i like i think that i feel like all of the parents in this movie were horrible parents um like he ran off and left uh tom cruise's mom while she had cancer or something was dying never Mm -hmm. even called to check on her um at the very beginning that kid he committed suicide because his parents argue all the time that's true that's true yeah even and then it's referenced yeah and then a quiz kid donnie his parents took all of his money and um the other kid that's on the quiz show his dad is verbally abusive to him like the whole time and he when he goes into the room when his dad is sleeping and he's like you need to start being nicer to me and then his dad just tells him to leave and i'm like really he's not even a bad kid He's no, not he's even an bad amazing. Kid. He's a great kid. Yeah, he's a great kid. And um, oh geez, and Claudia, I just don't understand how your daughter is at least in her late twenties, and you as a mother have never figured out why she is like the way she is. The way she is, like See, I feel like she was in denial. I think she I... had her suspicions, but refused to believe her husband would do. That what? makes you a shitty mom. Yes, no, for sure. Horrible person. For sure, exactly. And again, that goes with the theme you're pointing out, that and, all yeah. of these people have just done awful and things to their kids. are you only asking because he's dying and you just want an answer so that you're not wondering the rest of your life? And then he doesn't even have the... He can't even say if he's for sure done what she said that he did, which his daughter said that he molested her. And yeah. he's like... I don't think so. I don't, I don't recall think so. or something like that. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah, okay. it was. It, Excuse I think, my language. I think that's definitely what we're supposed to take, that he's he's not being truthful, but he's being, uh, like, deceitful. He's trying to not, yeah, he's not trying, he's trying to not take responsibility, responsibility for yeah. what he did, but he doesn't want to flat out lie. Um, Marcy, do you remember Marcy? Uh, I'm really bad with names, and there okay. were a million different that, people. Uh, the actress' name is Cleo King, but that's the first woman that Officer uh, 
Jim Curring, who is John C. Riley, encounters the uh, the black lady who is uh, yelling at him because he's walked into her <sighs> apartment. Yes. Um, okay, so I want to talk about her for a second because is that the mom of the little boy? It is not the mom of the little boy. It is the mom. Okay. It is. I'm sorry, the grandmother of the little boy. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, now. It's never a hundred percent laid out, but he finds a dead body in the closet of who is her husband or something like that, ex-husband, boyfriend. And we're told that her son, Worm, who is played by Orlando Jones apparently, but we never really see him, um, is known to fight with him. And it's it's implied that Worm killed her husband, or whoever again he was. Um, and that Worm's... And the kid, the rap, he mentions Worm in the rap. Oh. And that's why he tells John C. Reilly, I told you who it is, you're not going to do anything. He tells on his father. Um, and then we we see John C. Reilly follow a hooded figure who is, I believe, is supposed to be Worm. And he gets shot at. And that's when the gun's lost. And he the lost kid, his game. We see the kid pick up a gun, though. Like, real quick. It's, again, everything with that story, it's so in the background. The kid then, he'll later find... Um, Julianne Moore's character, who's taken all the pills, he steals her money before calling nine one one. It's like he's kind of like cleaning up after all these other adults who are making this mess. Um, he is being neglected, though. It looks like he's being left to do whatever it is he wants to do. Like he's roaming the streets at at night by himself. Um, we don't know what he did with the gun. Like nothing ever comes with that. But I feel like that's he's following in the sins of his father. You know, we get the implication that his father killed somebody. He's on the run, blah, blah, blah. He shot at a cop. Uh, we At least we think, again, because nothing is ever completely clear with that storyline. But I do think that is important to the overall message the movie is putting out there. Like, this kid being left to his own devices is going to follow in, in the negative footsteps. And then the big question I have, too, with Frank is why he ended up with the studs. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. Seduce and destroy. Because his mom died and he hates his dad yet he seems to hate women you know it's like why is that why do you why are you encouraging men to sleep with a woman and leave her like that is like what your dad did right like your dad left your woman and the dad tells us he cheated on his wife all the time and that's one of the reasons he left was because he was guilty and we also hear julianne moore who is so much younger than big earl admit to the lawyer that she only married him to get the money, but now loves him and feels guilty and doesn't want any of the money um, and admits to cheating on him and being unfaithful. Um, I mean, there's that... Uh, the, it, in a lot of ways, this movie is so sad. Um, I know, and I'm surprised that I... Because sometimes when I watch stuff like this, I kind of shut down. Mm-hmm. I feel like... That sounds a little dramatic, but I have a hard time processing it or, and, you know, but, I, and really awful things happen in this movie, but mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, one, one thing I'd like to ask, um, PTA if I could, was, uh, did you notice that John C. Riley's character is talking to himself? Like, what? John C. Riley's character is narrating his story like he's almost acting like he's on an episode of Cops. He gets in the cop car and he's talking 
it's not in his head where like you see his mouth moving and the way the camera initially is is shooting him is from the passenger seat like it's like as if he's talking to like a film crew but then the camera cuts to the front and we're on the hood and we're looking into the car we see there's nobody there but he's still talking and i don't know if he's talking to god he's not praying and we do see that he has a close relationship with god he has the cross on the wall we see him praying twice in the the film um and <laughs> all the time i'd say and it was yeah, twice <laughs> i think it was twice maybe i i could be wrong it might have been multiple it times felt like he was pretty you know invested but, well and then we also hear him like he gets on to people about their language and like it's definitely religion is obviously important to him but um he he's talking to no one in the car and again it's not it doesn't seem to be that he's talking to god there it just seems like he's telling a story he's talking as if he's narrating to a film crew and i'm wondering why because no one else in the movie that i can think of does that like they're always talking to someone uh, william h macy talks to himself but it's very clear he's talking to himself it's like you know him trying to pump himself up and get motivated to do what he needs to do or what he wants to do or whatever um and also it, it comes off as uh drunken rambling at one point too when he's at the bar and he's kind of mumbling to himself it, it doesn't seem it's not the same like John C. Riley is talking to someone but there's no one there like that's the the way I saw it and read uh, that scene and I'm really curious as to what if that means something um, I'm not I'm not sure mm. and then the other uh, did you have anything to add to that because I, I have another random thought that is not related but is another unanswered question I currently have no, apparently I was not paying attention to that at all. Well, so you notice there's three title cards in the movie where um, it tells us, like, a weather forecast? Yeah, why? Because well, of the frogs. Yes, definitely because later the frogs, uh, for sure. But the kid, Stanley, is also obsessed with the weather. At multiple points, he asked the, the woman who runs, like, the kids at the game show... He asked her about the weather team at the news station. Oh, yeah. If they have, like, an inside system or an outside system. Um, one of the books he's reading early, the first time we see him reading at the library, is about the weather. Um, and so, I don't know if he's supposed to be, like, so smart that he's a prognosticator, that he can maybe see the future. Maybe he sees the frogs coming and is afraid of it. Like, if it's, like, almost, you know, like a prophet of sorts, which I do feel... I feel like someone's called a prophet in the movie. I can't think of... I, does Frank call himself a prophet, maybe? I feel like someone refers to themselves as a prophet in the film, or something like that. I might be crossing things. I've, it's been a long couple of days. Um, but, yeah, there's so much. I, I really think this movie needs to be rewatched. Like, there's just so much, like, awesome. And we haven't even talked about filmmaking. Like, the camera work in the movie is amazing. The set design is really great. Uh, something that I think he's been notoriously awesome with. Um... I mean, I, I, I really, really love a lot about this movie. The more I think back on it, um, I've, I've spoken for a bit. Is there anything you want to add, Corey? Mm, no. I feel well, like you're doing a great job. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I feel like I, I just, um, I just, yeah, I felt like my biggest thing was all the shitty parents. Definitely. Um, the parents in this movie are definitely, uh, you know, they've all done wrong um and that is definitely a recurring element throughout all the character stories uh the only one that we don't get a lot of background with the family i think is john c Riley's character 
Um, we hear that he had a wife. Oh, yeah, and he hasn't dated since then. Three years three ago, three I think years. he says. Yep, and I don't remember if they mentioned if he had kids with her. I think he said no. I didn't feel like they said anything about kids. I mean, and see, also in this movie, though, he loses his gun, and he tells her that he's a laughingstock, that yeah. nobody takes him seriously, and that they all think he's a horrible cop, and blah, 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 blah. Yep. And so. I, I mean... Um, oh, and there's a comment. Dangerous to confuse children with angels is one of the lines in the movie, too. Yeah. And um, that almost implies that children are are evil. You know, like, the children are, don't confuse children with angels. And angels are these pure, you know, beings of, of goodness and light. Um, or at least that's the way I think of angels. Maybe I'm misinterpreting it again, but... So it's dangerous to confuse. And someone else says, no, it's not. It's not dangerous to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But that line is said a couple of times, I think, by two different characters. And um... I So this isn't very deep or anything, but when Julianne Moore's uh, character goes to the doctor and wants all of these things prescribed, and then she wants all of this stuff for her husband because he's in pain, and she doesn't want to like have hospice come in, and mm-hmm. I was kind of uh, shocked that the pharmacist said anything to her. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because they're not, I don't think that they're really supposed to do that. I it definitely, I mean, he, he's pushing. It was unprofessional. Well, it, and he's trying to do it on the sly. But definitely, like, it's one of those things where it's clearly you're insinuating something and she reacts to it. I think how anyone would react, especially because it is legitimate. Like, they are actually for her husband, although that's not in, it does not end up being what she uses them for. But that is, you know, like, initially. What they're intended for. Yeah, it is initially, I think, <laughs> what they were getting for, though. She just, you know, decides to, to end it all and take all the pills. And I thought it was interesting. Um, the pharmacy was, uh, excuse me, was A to Z pharmacy. And mm-hmm. I thought I thought that was significant that they showed that name. So, you know, A to Z, everything, and she takes like everything. And you know, I don't I don't know if I'm just reading into things too much. Um, I just feel like PTA. There's nothing left to chance, even though that this movie even deals with that idea, um, which makes it all the more likely that A to Z means something there. Um, I mean, even think like Philip Seymour feel- Hoffman's character. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say that I think that you're right. If he's showing us something, there's a reason that he's showing us. It's not. Yeah, and, I mean, I'd say that's true with most movies. However, this particular film in general has so much about that, these things having meaning, or, again, misleading, that he wants us to think it has meaning even if it doesn't, because that's, again, part of it. We read into things, we overanalyze, we're constantly looking. Um, you know, like, think for a minute, I thought Phil was going to find out that uh, Earl was r- lying, that Frank wasn't his son. You know, that he just took that so quick and went with it and he ordered the, the different porn magazines. I was like, wow, that's kind of creepy that he's ordering, like, porn magazines. Um, but he's not ordering porn magazines for porn. He's ordering porn magazines because he knows that Frank's um, ad will be in them because of what he's selling. He's selling this get-any-woman-you-want mantra. Well, of course those are going to be in porn magazines because those they're it's meant for men. You know, what a better what better place to advertise get any woman you want than in a magazine full of women you can't get. You know. Word. Uh, 
And so, like, that's something when I'm, like, I, w- I didn't understand why he was ordering it. And he, he doesn't even understand how it looks because the girl on the phone's like, do you even want the groceries? Because it sounded like he just <laughs> o- ordered groceries. As a cover-up. As a cover-up. Like, I'm really wanting other stuff, but. I just want this hustler. <laughs> but, yeah, but I don't want to be that guy who just ca- phone orders a delivery of porn <laughs> oh, Um But, yeah, uh, man. Uh, there's there's so much in this movie. I think we could talk for days and still not have answers to some of it, but um, I think let's just wrap it up here, folks. I give this movie um, a must see rating. It is a it's film at every level. It is artistically crafted. Um, it's not going to satisfy you ending wise necessarily, or it will. Um, it's definitely not going to be one that I think will speak to everybody. But and it's it's vulgar at times. Um, there's no none of the characters get nude, but there is a scene where Philip Seymour Hoffman's flipping through the channels and is like full on porno for a second. Um, but I, otherwise, like there's so there's not really nudity, but there is a lot of sexuality conversation, especially coming out of Tom Cruise's mouth. Um, he says some words that make me you know make me want to blush, and I've heard blush, everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I go must see uh, without any hesitation and. Uh, I'm becoming a huge PTA fan the more I see his movies. So I think that, though, if we do another director, we need to look into how long the movies are because... Good good call. Uh, uh. It's a little a little long, um, but I'm this okay. This didn't feel as long as Boogie Nights, though, to me. I, I agree. Boogie Nights drags at times in the middle, I think, where this did not drag at all. And not that Boogie Nights dragged in a bad way, but definitely dragged much more than Magnolia did. I, too, am going to give this a must-see film. Must-see. That said, um, we both are saying this movie's a must-see. Um, we are working our way through his catalog, although we won't get through all of his films. Um, I will still need to watch The Master and Punch Drunk Love by the end of this, uh, and Corey will not be joining me with those two films. Um, and then I want to rewatch The Master. I... I uh, I'm definitely going to watch it for the first time, but we're actually going backwards here, and we're going to his first feature film, which is Hard Eight from 1996. Um, and wow, I gotta tell you something. I just found out. I'm looking at his writing credits. Yeah. And in 1988, he wrote a short story, or I'm assuming it's a short film called The Dirk Diggler Story. Oh yeah. But so. If he's 27, when he wrote Boogie Nights, or when he made Boogie Nights, that means he's, like, 17 when he wrote the short story. He's only 47. This guy. I just had to look up. He, I mean, this was only, I guess, one year prior, Heart 8 was, to Magnolia, and he was only 26. Is that correct? One year prior to Boogie Nights, 1996. Oh, no, sorry. Okay. So... Um, I feel like that's so close. Well, Hard Eight is professional gambler Sydney teaches John the tricks of the trade. John does well until he falls for a cocktail waitress Clementine, and uh, we get Philip Baker Hall as Sydney, John C. Riley as John. So John C. Riley's in uh, his oh. first three films. Gwyneth Paltrow is playing Clementine, and one of the things that makes me so excited for this movie: Samuel L. Jackson playing Jimmy. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in this as well, so he's also oh. in his first three movies. Um, and yeah, that looks like the big names in this film. It's got a More. 78 Metascore, 7.3 IMDb user rating, and clocks in at only an hour and 42 minutes for this one, folks. 
Ooh. Uh, so his first film, he's a little bit more under control. It looks older than a 96 film, um, which is probably from budget issues. They probably didn't have the, the lighting capability to make it look newer. Wow, Gwyneth Paltrow has long hair. actors. But, um, well, this is 96, so some of them were still up and coming. Um, I mean, Sam was not. Sam has very established at this point. Pulp Fiction's already been out for two years. Um, but that's what we're going to be watching next week, uh, Hard 8. I, I do not believe it's available to stream for free, but you can rent it for like three or four bucks on any of the streaming services or buy it. Um, we will be reviewing Hard 8 next week on the episode. Uh, Corey, until next time, thanks for uh, watching movies with me. Thank you. You guys have a good week. And to our listeners, keep watching movies. This has been a Burke Reviews podcast. BurkeReviews.com. <laughs> <laughs>